Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. Everybody. My name is Chris. I am the teaching pastor and uh, fashion icon at the church. So we are in this Values in the Kingdom series, and we've been talking about one of our values, which is treasuring God's presence. And in this value, we've talked about uh, being aware of His presence. We've talked about silence and solitude. Today, I want to talk about another aspect of treasuring God's presence, and um, that is hearing God speak and how we can grow in hearing God's voice. I want to talk about the prophetic. And I'm going to put my cards out on the table as we start. As you might know, I am um, passionate about the mind when it comes to our faith. Our faith is an intellectual faith. We're not crossing our fingers and hoping. It's rooted in history. We're not blind faith people. Yet, there is this supernatural thing that occurs in the body of Christ and around the body of Christ. And oftentimes, those two things are seen as conflicting, right? And I just want to say that I am tired of this conflict between intellectual Christianity and spirit-led Christianity. Because this is not the way of Jesus. And it's not the way of the apostles. You never see this, well, if you're going to be led by the Spirit, you're going to have to leave your brain behind. That is garbage. It is always spirit and truth, spirit and truth. So let's look at the prophetic and how we hear God's voice. So first thing, if we want to grow in hearing God's voice, then we need to be people who read his book, the Bible, period. If we say we want to hear God speak, but we don't read the book, then we are ignoring the main way God speaks to us. His word is living and active. But the Bible tells us that God speaks in other various ways. He speaks through creation. He speaks through one another. He speaks through teaching and preaching of the scriptures. Um, He speaks through our relationships. He speaks through our circumstances. And he speaks through the gifts of prophecy, words of knowledge, Uh, words of wisdom. Scripture says there are gifts of the Spirit that are given to us, free gifts that are not meant to be trophies that we put in a cupboard. They're given to individuals to bless the church. So, you know, we, we, we see someone we care about who's sick, who's suffering. We don't ask, before I pray, do I have the gift of healing? Um, we don't ask that question. If you love someone and they're sick, what you do is you put your hands on them and you pray for healing. I think we particularly do this with the gift of prophecy. Do I have it or do I not have it? And there are people that are more tuned into the, prof- the prophetic, sure, but if you love people and you know they need to hear from God, don't ask, do I have the gift of prophecy? Just ask God to speak to you for the people that you love. What Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 is, make love your aim but strive earnestly after the spiritual gifts, especially for that of prophecy. So those two things go together. You strive earnestly after the gifts of of the Spirit, and especially prophecy. Why? To make love your aim. We are given the gift of prophecy so that we can love people better. If you want the gifts of the Spirit so that you can look good, I kindly invite you to not strive earnestly for the gifts of the Spirit, because that's how people get hurt. When people use the gifts given to them by God to make themselves look good, that's how people get hurt. 
The gifts of the Spirit are not given to authenticate yourself as a prophet or a healing minister or whatever else. They're given to bless other people. First, First Corinthians 14.3 says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Why are we meant to strive earnestly after the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy? Because love is our aim. Because we want to see people set free. Because we want to see people released. Because we want to see people come to life. And the the whole point of prophetic ministry is that it's it's more about revealing Jesus than it is about revealing the future. It's not the Christian version of fortune telling. The gifts of the Spirit are not even meant to be demonstration of God's power. They're meant to be demonstrations of His love. They're meant to be demonstrations of His kindness. They're meant to be demonstrations of His goodness. The prophetic is all about revealing Jesus. We see prophecy throughout the scripture. Here's one example. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43, we read this. It says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to, Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph. From Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? So Nathaniel was the church cynic. He, there's one in every church. Look at how Philip responds. Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And that's a great evangelistic statement. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, now here comes a prophetic word. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Now, on surface level, it doesn't make a lot of sense, really. Philip says, I think we found him. Uh, we, we think we found the one who's the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel, and Nathanael's skeptical. He's cynical, and Jesus doesn't really say much to him at all. He just says, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. But everything changed at that moment for Nathaniel. Now, this is speculation, but I think it's reasonable speculation because I can't think of another reason. I just wonder if Nathaniel, who was a genuine son of Israel, I wonder if Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree before Philip came and found him, and he was sitting there, praying and saying, God, I'm a genuine son of Israel. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be righteous. I've tried to get it right. I've called out to you. You, you promised in the scripture that the Messiah would come. Where is he? Look at your people. We're, we're under Roman occupation. We're ruled by another country. Are you even listening to my prayers? Are you listening to me? Do you even see me sitting under this fig tree? And Jesus says, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Nathaniel's like, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. One prophetic word unlocked it all. You see this with Zacchaeus. He was a traitor to Israel. He wanted to see Jesus passing through, so he climbs up in a tree because he's a little guy. And what we miss in a story is he gets a word of knowledge. He gets a prophetic word. Jesus is walking by, looks up in a tree and says, Zacchaeus, 
get your butt out of the tree, I'm coming to your house. And for Zacchaeus, it's like, he knows my name. And Zacchaeus, he can't even believe it. I'll sell everything and pay back four times what I've stolen. And then Jesus affirms him, and for the first time, he knew the unconditional love of God because of a simple word. I just imagine Zacchaeus walking around town for the next week saying, He knows my name. He knows my name. And this is something that the Lord wants to equip and empower us all to do. And I've seen it. I've seen how this gift, when used rightly, out of a heart of compassion, out of a heart of mercy, it releases people. It releases God's love into people. It makes them know that they're noticed, that they're cared for, that he knows their name. And, for example, I've had words for people, and I'll be honest, this is something I want to grow in. I'm not as tuned in as I would like to be. But an example, we were at the church for a conference, and I was talking to this woman. And I just saw a picture in my head of her boarding an airplane. That was it. So I just said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but I think I got this picture of you getting on an airplane. Is that something? Is that a God thing? Or is that just my ADD? And she paused and she said, I am terrified of planes. And because of that, I haven't visited my sister who lives out of the country in years. I think it was like over 10 years. And she said, I've been feeling like maybe I should get on a plane and visit her. And that gave me confirmation that God sees the situation and wants me to go see her. And that's why the gifts of the Spirit are given. Not so that we can make church more interesting, as opposed to those poor churches who just preach the Bible. It's not it. It's not given for that. It's given so that people might be set free. The gifts of the Spirit are given so that people might be able to say, God knows my name. He sees me. He sees my situation. I can let go of my fear. And I can let go of my shame. He knows me. And I could give you a bunch more examples of the prophetic words from Scripture. From the Acts of the Apostles. I mean, we could, we could do weeks of study on every other page of the books of, book of Acts. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. There was this guy who was on his way home to Ethiopia. Terribly disappointed. Then the Lord spoke to Philip and everything changed for this guy. This is, I think, supposed to be normal. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. How do we grow and develop in the prophetic? First of all, we need to understand this. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he had, he owned, and bought it. So Jesus gave everything he had, and what was his pearl of great price? This is the truth, and I say this unashamedly. I am the pearl of great price. Christopher Isaac Holm is the treasure hidden in the field. And so are you. And that spoils it for me a little bit. But that's us. We are the pearl of great price. He gave everything for us. And when we know that, when we understand that, when that, when that goes deep, when we don't just believe it when we're in church and we've had a good worship time, but when we, we believe it when we've had an awful week and we've messed up. And in that place we can say, Oh my goodness, I'm your pearl of great price. You gave everything for me. When we get that revelation, it changes everything. Someone said it one time, and I don't remember who. They said, Revelation is when it lives in you. 
right? There's a, there's, there's a truth that's like a mathematical equation that you try to remember until after the math test is done, and then you can f forget it. We're not talking about that kind of truth. We're talking about a truth that lives in you, that you're not going to forget, that you don't want to forget. That's revelation. And you see, when we get revelation, that we are his pearl of great price, he starts to become our pearl of great price. And when he becomes our pearl of great price, the more we hear his voice, the more we treasure his presence, the more the gifts of this prophecy begin to operate, because it's all about relationship. It's not a mathematical equation. The way you hear God speak more and more is in the context of a friendship with him. When we treasure his presence, when we say, Lord, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. When it happens, you hear his voice more and more clearly. You, sh you start to share his compassion. You start to share his tears for the lost and for the broken. You start to care about people. He softens your heart. The closer you are to Jesus, the more compassionate and gentle and kind you become. Compassion drives us to ask the Lord to give us what we need in order to bless people. That's how it works. We read the story of Elijah a couple weeks ago. You know, we had this, he had this great victory on Mount Carmel with the calling down of the fire. And then he gets threatened by Jezebel and he wanted to die. So the Lord has to take him to Mount Horeb and he hides him in this this cleft of a rock. And there comes an earthquake and a wind and a fire. And the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. You know what? I think Elijah must have been tempted to think that God would, have, would be in the earthquake and the wind. But how could he not have been in the fire? Because he'd been in the fire on Mount Carmel 40 days earlier. But God was not in the fire. Then it says, then the Bible says, then came a gentle whisper, a still small voice. Usually you shout to get somebody to stay away from you, but whispering makes people come close. You got to be really close. You got to be in someone's presence to hear a whisper. God whispers. He doesn't shout. That's why we need to be in his presence. In John 15, and I love this verse, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. God's always speaking, always working. But I believe that we miss it sometimes. Because when you are expecting a shout, it's easy to miss a whisper. And sometimes the, the, the way God talks to us might not even be in words at the beginning. Maybe it's just a growing sense. Maybe you feel like it's an intuition or something. You start getting these feelings or thoughts or these like pictures in your imagination when you're around somebody. And maybe you just dis dismiss them. But that may be the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I can tell you, I am more and more convicted to be aware and to be listening for the Holy Spirit so that I can love people better. And there's going to be trial and error, right? You know, sometimes we get it wrong. And if we get it wrong, then we might look a little foolish. But the only way to find out is to step out. And I would like to see us get to that place where we love him so much, we have so much of his compassion in our hearts, that our desire to see him meet with people we love becomes stronger than our fear of failure. Love has to become stronger than our fear of failure. Otherwise, we'll always just default to what is safe, always. I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in being a safe Christian. I want to be a 
an obedient Christian, a bold Christian. Like, God, I believe that you want to meet with these people, and why shouldn't you want to use me? I'm one of your people. I'm not special, but I'm one of your people, so I'm going to go for it. He wants us to grow in this because he's looking for a church that loves enough to take risks, to set people free. That's what he's looking for. And the more we do this, the more we'll be amazed at his kindness. And you know God doesn't live in a building. He doesn't live in a temple in Jerusalem. God lives in you and me. You know when Jesus walked in Israel, people were healed and were set free and were transformed. And now that same presence of God is in us. We've got a ways to go, but we too can bring healing and freedom and transformation wherever we go. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to live that life. He calls us to be carriers of his presence. Amen.